Thank you for joining me for another episode of ClickBang. Last week, we looked at some extensive public policy polling that shed a light on exactly what Muslims around the world think. Since that broadcast, we have had one of the largest terrorist attacks on American soil in the history of our country. That is not what this broadcast is about. The focus of tonight's broadcast is an analysis of research, demographic projections, and a recent history in Europe to look at exactly where we're going. I plan to look at this research, as well as current events, both here and around the world, to look at what this problem really is. And it is not a problem of Muslims. It is not a problem of religion. It is actually a problem of the clash of civilizations. I'm going to start by looking at some of the work done by political scientist Samuel P. Huntington. Samuel P. Huntington was a liberal Democrat who wrote about world politics, war, and international affairs, as well as being an advisor to many heads of state. His alma mater includes Stuyvesant High School, as well as Harvard, Yale, and Columbia Universities. Huntington published a book called The Clash of Civilizations over 20 years ago. The predictions made in that book have proven to have chilling accuracy. In The Clash of Civilizations, Huntington predicted that the primary source of violent conflict in the future will be cultural and religious identity as opposed to the traditional model of nation-state-on-nation-state war. Quoting Huntington, It is my hypothesis that the fundamental source of conflict in this new world will not be primarily ideological or primarily economic. The great divisions among humankind and the dominating source of conflict will be cultural. Nation-states will remain the most powerful actors in world affairs, but the principal conflicts of global politics will occur between nations and groups of different civilizations. The clash of civilizations will dominate global politics. The fault lines between civilizations will be the battle lines of the future. In Eurasia, the great historic fault lines between civilizations are once again aflame. This is particularly true along the boundaries of the crescent-shaped Islamic bloc of nations, from the bulge of Africa to Central Asia. Violence also occurs between Muslims on the one hand and Orthodox Serbs in the Balkans, Jews in Israel, Hindus in India, Buddhists in Burma, and Catholics in the Philippines. Islam is even at war with animists in Africa. Islam has bloody borders. The fundamental problem for the West is not Islamic fundamentalism. It is Islam, a different civilization whose people are convinced of the superiority of their culture and are obsessed with the inferiority of their power. The problem for Islam is not for the CIA or the U.S. Department of Defense. It is the West itself, a different civilization whose people are convinced of the universality of their culture and believe that their superior, if declining, power imposes upon them the obligation to extend that culture throughout the world. These are the basic ingredients that fuel conflict between Islam and the West. To preserve civilization in the face of declining Western power, it is in the interest of the United States and European countries to recognize that Western intervention in the affairs of other civilizations is probably the single most 
dangerous source of instability and potential global conflict in the multi-civilizational world. If only we had listened to him. Again, Islam has bloody borders. Wherever Islam comes into contact with other civilizations or religious communities, the result is almost never peaceful. In Dr. Peter Hammond's book, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, The Historical Roots and Contemporary Threat, Hammond provides additional useful perspective on Islam. I don't think it is productive to continue to think of Islam as a religion or even a cult. In its fullest form, it is a complete, total, 100% system of life. Islam has religious, legal, political, economic, social, and military components. It is becoming increasingly apparent that the religious component is clearly a cover for all of the other components. Dr. Hammond extensively studies the impact of an increasingly Muslim population on a society. As long as the Muslim population remains around 2% in any given country, they will, for the most part, be regarded as peace-loving and not as a threat to other citizens. Isolated terror attacks can happen, but the Muslim population as a whole is integrated and peaceful. Countries that exhibit this 2% or less minority of Muslims exist in the United States, Australia, Canada, China, and Italy. Once the Muslim population reaches from 3 to 6%, they begin to proselytize from other ethnic minorities and disaffected groups, often with major recruiting from the jails and among street gangs. This is happening in Denmark, Germany, the United Kingdom, Spain, and Thailand. Once the Muslim population grows from 6 to 10%, they exercise an inordinate influence in proportion to their percentage of the population. For example, they will push for the introduction of halal Islamic food standards, thereby securing food preparation jobs for Muslims. They will increase pressure on supermarket chains to feature halal on their shelves, along with threats for failure to comply. This is occurring in France, the Philippines, Sweden, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. At this point, they will work to get the ruling government to allow them to rule themselves within their, ghetto, within their ghettos under Shahira, the Islamic law. The ultimate goal of Islamists is to establish Shahira law over the entire world. When Muslims approach 10% of the population, they tend to increase lawlessness as a means of complaint about their conditions. In Paris, we are already seeing regular mass car bombings. Any non-Muslim action offends Islam, and results in uprisings, threats, and mass murder, even for actions as trivial as offensive cartoons and films about Islam. Such tensions are seen daily, particularly in Muslim sections in Guana, India, Israel, Kenya, and Russia. After a nation reaches a Muslim population of 20 to 30 percent, they can expect hair-trigger rioting, jihad militia formations, sporadic killings, and the burnings of Christian churches and Jewish synagogues, such as is regularly seen in Ethiopia. At 40%, nations experience widespread massacres, chronic terror attacks, and ongoing militia war warfare, such as in Bosnia, Chad, and Lebanon. At 60%, 
nations experience unfettered persecution of non-believers of all other religions, including non-conforming Muslims, sporadic ethnic cleansing, use of Shahira law as a weapon, and jizya, the tax placed on infidels, such as in Albania, Malaysia, Qatar, and Sudan. After 80% expect daily intimidation and violent jihad, some state-run ethnic cleansing, and even some genocide, as these nations drive out the infidels and move towards 100% Muslim, such has been experienced and in some ways is ongoing in Bangladesh, Egypt, Gaza, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Morocco, Pakistan, Syria, Turkey, and the United Arab Emirates. At 100% of population, the Dara Islam, the Islamic House of Peace, is ushered in. Here, there is supposed to be peace, because everyone is Muslim, the madrasas are the only schools, and the Quran is the only word, such as in Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, and Yemen. Unfortunately, peace is never achieved. As in these 100% Muslim population states, the most radical Muslims intimidate and spew hatred and satisfy their bloodlusts by killing less radical Muslims for a variety of reasons. It is important to understand that in some countries, with well under 100% Muslim populations, such as France, the UK, Sweden, Germany, and Belgium, the minority Muslim populations live in ghettos, which within the, which in and of themselves are 100% Muslim, and within which they live by Shahira law. The national police do not enter these ghettos. There are no national courts, nor schools, nor non-Muslim religious facilities. In such situations, Muslims do not integrate into the community at large. The children attend madrasas. They only learn the Quran. To even associate with an infidel is often a crime punishable by death. Therefore, in some areas of certain nations, Muslim imams and extremists exercise more power than the national average would indicate. For example, let's take a quick trip to the United Kingdom the country that is probably the most similar to the United States. Children across Britain are being exploited for sex by organized gangs in growing numbers. It is the Muslim most. patrols are again active in London, with vigilantes trying to impose Islamic ideals on the local population. And while so do you feel that you are British? I identify myself as Muslim. Uh, if, I, if I was born in a, in a stable you know, I'm not going to be a horse. We are Muslim patrol. We are in North London. We are in South London, East London and West London. We command good and we forbid evil. Islam is here in London. Mr. David Cameron, Mr. Police Officer, whether you like it or not. A woman in a short skirt is abused. Vigilante. We don't care if you're appalled at all. Muslim patrol. Oh, Muslim Mary, it's Great Britain. This we don't care. It's not so Great Britain. You need to get out of it. A man the patrol thinks is gay yeah, is insulted. Then. Get out of here quicker then. You're dirty, mate. You're gay, mate. Get out of here, mate. The night of what it calls the appalling abuse of at least 1,400 children over a period of 16 years, from 1997 to 2013. It details children being raped, trafficked, beaten, and sometimes doused in petrol. The inquiry says almost all the perpetrators were of Pakistani heritage. Today's 1.6 billion Muslims make up about a quarter of the world's population, but their birth rates 
dwarf the birth rates of Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, and Jews. Muslims will exceed 50% of the world population by the end of the century. Only one question remains. Where will this majority be geographically? Do you have a choice in the matter right now? Germany and Sweden have already made a choice, and they chose poorly. Their culture is doomed. There is nothing that can save them at this point. All demographic projections lead to the same conclusion. Cultural extinction is a certainty. Islam is not coming to assimilate into Western culture any more than European settlers arriving in North America were planning on integrating into Native American customs and way of life. Islam is coming to do what it has always done wherever it has gone for over a thousand years to spread Islam throughout the land, be it by the sword or by the womb. I believe that the latter will be the dominant method in the coming decades. Hillary Clinton has always been consistent on her stance regarding Muslims and terrorism. Here is a direct quote from her Twitter that I read in full. Quote, let's be clear. Islam is not our adversary. Muslims are peaceful and tolerant people and have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. Close quote. Let me get this straight. The bombings and beheadings in the south of the Philippines and Thailand, the car bombs and death squads in Afghanistan, the suicide bombings in countless countries throughout the world, the mass shooting deaths in Paris, Brussels, San Bernardino, and Orlando, the massacres on public transportation systems in London and Madrid, the daily terror in Libya and Syria, the weekly executions of homosexuals throughout the Muslim world, and on and on and on. None of this, Secretary Clinton, none of this, according to you, has anything to do with Islam, even though when you ask the Muslims themselves, Frighteningly high portions of various Islamic state populations will readily admit that it does. A direct quote from a tweet is one thing, but plans on public policy is something else. Hillary has already vowed to drastically increase the number of refugees and migrants from Islamic countries to well over 100,000 more per year. The pathological altruism of the left is funding Islamic colonization inside our own borders. Those that eat from the trough of BuzzFeed will come up with many other excuses for why this sort of thing is happening. The leftists will say poverty. The rightists will say they hate our freedom. Social justice devotees will say the criticism of Islam is racist. Muslims who are peaceful and integrated into the West want you to believe that only a tiny fraction of Muslims still believe in these goals. Others point to other religions and the bar and the barbarism that is exhibited in their texts and even terrorist activity as some sort of refutation of the fact that Islam is a true danger to, to Western civilization. For example, people will cite passages out of the Bible or even point to terrorist attacks on abortion clinics in America. Of course, these things happen, but you have to consider the scope and focus. For example, abortion has been has been legal in this country. It has been 43 years since Roe versus Wade. Terror attacks on abortion clinics have happened. 
But in those 43 years, less than a dozen deaths have been recorded. Of course, these are tragic. But of course, just this week, that number has been smashed in a day. Of course, all religious terrorism is despicable. But it is intellectually dishonest to simply consider it to be on the whole, a fundamental difference. No, it is a difference in degree, but not of kind, but that degree is massive. Or put another way, in terms of the Islamic terrorism happening throughout the world, the frequency and amplitude is deafening compared to what is coming from any other source of organized religion or culture. Circling back to Europe one last time before we draw some conclusions, perhaps one of the worst situations would be Sweden. The Swedish police will no longer even go into areas with high Muslim populations. Sweden now has a rate of rape, the highest in all of Europe, in fact, even higher than the war-torn areas of the Congo. Rapes are up over 1,400% in the last few years. This is what real rape culture looks like. The police don't protect their citizens, but the citizens can't protect themselves either. These countries do not have a Second Amendment. Getting a gun for self-defense purposes is practically impossible. Pepper spray won't do anything when a half a dozen people are trying to rape you. It just makes them more angry. But what happened when a woman in Norway did actually try to defend herself? against a rapist with pepper spray. It worked. That said, the police ended up arresting her because even that is illegal for self-defense in that country. In England, 1,400 children were raped, not by random people, but by an organized group of Islamists. The government knew about it for over a decade, but did nothing because they were afraid of being called racist. Time after time, European governments have proven that they are either unwilling or unable to protect their citizens. What we are looking at is a humanitarian crisis the likes of which the West has never seen in the better part of a century. Nothing can be done for Sweden and Germany. What do we do in the United States? Hillary's plan to increase Muslim immigration is certainly catastrophic. It'll end up being much more than what she is saying, and attempts to screen out terrorists will fail, as they already have. That doesn't even matter in the long-term picture, though. The big picture is to avoid what has been happening in Europe. I think that productive public policy should generally be done with a scalpel and not a sledgehammer. This is one area where we do indeed need to use a sledgehammer. I remember when Trump said that we need to ban all Muslim immigration for the first time months ago. At the time, I thought that this was racist, impossible, and stupid. After watching Europe over the past months, I feel that this is now the only suitable option. We must ban immigration to the U.S. from all Islamic states. The time for virtue signaling is over. We have to learn and act from the ongoing European disaster. These are things for heads of state to ultimately decide. But what do we, as citizens, do? Well, of course, we vote, but that's not all we can do. Going back to Europe for a second, before we go back here, if you post anti-Muslim immigration sentiments on social media, you will often be arrested. This is happening all over Europe. 
Europeans may need the First Amendment even more than the Second, but sadly, they have neither. We still have this right to free speech, at least for now. We have to talk about this and come to the conversation armed with the facts. My sources are not right-wing nationalist blogs, but rather respected European and American news organizations. So should be yours. In this day and age, everyone has a platform. Speaking out is not racism or xenophobia. It's simply looking at the recent past and present day events. No thinking person can come to the conclusion that mass Muslim migration will result in cultural assimilation. Muslim migration to the United States must be stopped. We have to shut it down and we have to talk about it while we still can. Put aside your ego, assess the facts, and stop it with your worthless virtue signaling and your Facebook profile picture flag filters. This does nothing. We cannot make the same mistake as Europe. This is the first legitimate chance you have ever had, and it may also be your last. Thank you so much for listening. Good night, and I'll see you next week.